0: Uh, I wanted to share some pictures. I've been thinking about this for weeks, but I haven't been here for <laughs> weeks. So, um, and I was glad that I didn't show up weeks ago and talk about this because it just was too good of a fit today to share. But I've been kind of obsessed with something over the last several weeks. Hopefully you've seen some of this. It's kind of this thing that people keep talking about. It's been on the news, it been different places. But we did this cool thing where we sent this telescope into space. James Webb telescope. Have you seen some of these pictures that this telescope that we sent out of space is sending back to us? This is incredible, right? This is the new background to my iPad because I'm just like, every time I stare at this, I just think, how incredibly beautiful is this shot? But there's a couple others I want to kind of point out and talk about. This is like a dying star, like this whole thing that's going on around it, which may already be gone. We don't know because light takes a long time to travel. You know, Just in case you don't know, I know the kids are going back to school, so you guys have to have a science lesson today too, sorry. Um, If you didn't know this, it takes eight minutes from the light that comes out of the sun. Like the sun is this big ball of burning gas, right? And the light that comes off of this burning energy that's being produced, light comes out, and it takes eight minutes because the sun is so far away, it takes eight minutes for that light to travel and get to us, right? So what we're seeing outside right now left eight minutes ago. It's crazy to think because light travels so incredibly fast. And this is so much further away. In fact, I've been looking at a couple different bits of information. If you don't know, our galaxy, like, okay, let's back up for just a second. Let's get our terminology straight. Like I said, I'm going to take you to science class for just a second. We live on planet Earth, yes? 27,000 miles around, like, or 27, 24. Always get those mixed up. Anyway, it's big, right? We know how big it is, how long it takes us to travel, even just across the state. It's big. Our planet is not the biggest in a solar system of eight planets. Sorry Pluto, you were a planet when I was a kid, I get it, but you're not anymore, it's alright, I've, I've come to grips, I get it. But our solar system has these eight planets that are spread out away from this sun. It is this massive thing to think about that the sun is that far away and we are closer to the sun than we are from some of these things at the far edges of our solar system that are even further out. And the idea that light moves so incredibly fast. We talk about the speed of light and the idea it takes eight minutes for light to get from there to there. It's crazy to think about how big our solar system is, right? But our solar system is just a tiny, tiny speck of what is our galaxy. Our galaxy is estimated to be over 100,000 light years wide. So let's grasp that concept. It is eight minutes, right, for the light from the sun to get to us. It is 100,000 years for light to get from one side of our galaxy to the other. The Milky Way, our galaxy, that big. We have so many different stars and solar systems in our galaxy, this is a picture of one of those. Now let's back it out just a little. Not out on that same picture, but just think about this. That is multiple galaxies that this, sa- or this telescope is picking up. You think about ours being 100,000 light years wide. These are multiple galaxies with all these little tiny specks being stars and solar systems that this telescope is picking up pictures of. Light has traveled so long and so far to be able to be picked up by this telescope. This is this other picture. And what I find amazing about this picture, it's kind of weird looking, the angles are kind of funny because of how the telescope is made. But one of the things that's incredibly, like just blows my mind about this picture, and I can't point out all the details. I watched other people do it, but I can't reenact it for you. I'm not as smart as some of the people I've watched talk about this. But some of the dots you're seeing in that picture are stars in our galaxy, right? And some of those dots you're seeing are other galaxies. When you think about the idea that we are so zoomed out in this picture and so taking in this big scope of things, you're seeing stars that exist in this Milky Way galaxy that is ours and yet seeing other galaxies in the distance that are these massive collections of stars and solar systems. And you think about how vast and incredibly large that it takes millions of years for some of this light that we're seeing to travel to where this telescope is. Does anybody else feel a touch small? Because zoom out, right? And then zoom back in, and you realize that even in the state of Indiana, I don't feel like that big of a deal, right? Like in my state, in the space, you can go ahead and bring your lights back up, Elliot. In the space that I exist in, in this town even, there are tons of people who don't know who I am. I feel like I play such a tiny role even in the bigger picture of what we have going on around us. Then you zoom out to think about we live in a larger state. Then you think about we live in a larger country. Then you think about the fact that our country is just one little piece of an entire world and that that world is such a tiny microscopic speck in the picture of the universe and what exists and what God has created. Today we're talking about humility. Anybody else feel a little humbled? The idea of this incredible picture and who we are and the fact that God is saying to each and every one of us, I love you. I would send my one and only son to die for you. I want to be in relationship with you. I created all of these stars and these systems and more of a universe than you could even begin to understand. And yet I'm looking at how much I love each and every one of you individually, offering you individual personal relationship with me. That's mind-blowing to me. I look at those pictures, and I look at how tiny we are, and I think if we look at not just the vastness of the universe, but let's think for just a second, if we were to walk into the public library downtown and just walk into the shelves, let's forget the fiction section just for a second, okay? Let's put that, I know it's a bigger section. There's a lot of cool books there too. But even just walking into the nonfiction section, if you've been into the library and you see how many rows and rows and rows of shelves there are. I take Nora in there sometimes, and she has a hard time just walking out with one or two books. And Nora likes the nonfiction section. Elia is also bringing out a pile of books, but those are like stories because she likes her stories. But Nora wants to like, I want to learn how to crochet. I want to learn how to cook this. I want to learn how to make this. Like, I want to acquire as much knowledge as I can. How many of you walk down those aisles and seen titles of books, you're like, I don't even know what that title means. Nonetheless, do I understand the information in that book, right? And we think about how much information there is just in our little library, not to mention the entirety of our world that we don't grasp or understand or know. So I can kind of talk about these pictures because I've heard other people talk about these pictures, not because I'm an expert. There's so much I couldn't even begin to explain or express. I think about how little I am in the world, but I also think about how little I understand about the world. And each and every one of us would agree that when it comes to all of the knowledge that there is to have, we don't have it, correct? Yes, please, you can agree with me on this, right? We don't know everything, yes? We are not experts on everything, correct? Okay, we like to think we are. At times. We like to think we are. Because you think about the world, everybody's an expert, right? Everybody knows how somebody else should live. Everybody else knows exactly how it should be done. Everybody knows that they're an idiot for trying that or thinking that would work. How stupid do you have to be to think that was a good idea? We think that we are humble when we look at things and realize our position in this world. And we think humility as a piece of conversation is something I don't feel like, I, I don't try to present myself as the expert. I don't try to present myself as the one who has it all figured out. I'm just one little piece in this big, big puzzle. And I think on some level, some of us have a sense of humility in understanding that we are only one tiny piece of what God has created. But I think sometimes we have a hard time putting humility into practice in terms of how we engage with our world and other people. That we struggle at times or we feel like others struggle at times. Maybe it's hard for us to actually pin this on ourselves at the moment. I'll give you that. But even just looking around us, we definitely see there's a problem with how we view things. How if you don't agree with me on this one thing, you obviously are clueless about everything else. And quickly we divide up lines and you are just crazy if you don't see the world the way I see it through this one tiny lens, from this one tiny little perspective, trying to see an entire massive universe and world with so much complexity and so much different stuff happening, right? Today, our key verse in Core 52, this memory verse that we're encouraged to try to put to memory is one I remember I was pushed to memorize in college and I will tell you that Uh, That was a couple days ago, a little bit longer than that. And it doesn't stick with me as well as I'd like it to. I'm really good at paraphrasing things, not really good at quoting things exactly and perfectly. But it's one that has stuck with me a lot and one of my favorite passages because I love what Paul is writing here in the book of Philippians. But it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, A thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men jesus understood that for us to try to relate with the god who created that universe was gonna be a bit of a stretch right how can i know him how can i spend time with him how can i be in relationship with him How can I feel like he understands anything of what it's like to be me? Jesus lived in this Roman culture where the mythologies that we studied in school, Greek and Roman mythologies with these pantheon of gods who lived separate on Mount Olympus and just made things happen. He's speaking in a community where there's this sense of understanding of the gods being kind of this distant, they've interacted with our world, but only at their pleasure and their leisure when it benefits them, when they can gain something from us, when our praises come to them, they might bless us with what they have to offer kind of mindset. He's living in a Jewish culture, speaking to Jewish people, I get that, but he's trying to reach out through this chosen group of people, the Israelites, but he understands that this idea amongst people that God could be someone relatable is a distant concept. Even if the gods walk on the earth, And how can they really know what it's like to be me? And so Jesus humbles himself, puts on flesh and becomes God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and walks amongst us experiencing life. We've talked about this in the course of our Core 52 study. We discussed incarnation and this idea of Jesus putting on flesh and dwelling among us so that he could understand what it's like to walk in our shoes, to experience the things we go through. We joked about the idea that Jesus went through middle school for you, right? He knows the hardships of what we struggle through and walk through. But in the midst of all of that, it's saying he didn't consider equality with God something to grasp, but put on the essence, became fully human, and walked and dwelt among us so he could grasp this. But he also emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, emptying himself and taking on fully what it means to walk amongst us and experience what we're walking through. Humility, Paul is defining through this sacrifice, through this way of laying down one's life. And so we talk about what does it mean for us to be humble? It is not simply an acceptance of the fact that I don't have all the answers. It's not simply an acceptance that I'm tiny in the big picture of the universe. It's not simply an acceptance of saying, well, yeah, I don't have it all figured out, but I know more than you, so you should probably catch up, right? It's easy to make that transition and jump, to say, I'm humble, I don't think too highly of myself. But then when we start putting ourselves next to someone else, are we emptied out in a way that we are willing to serve, or do we still see our position, our status, our level of success, our accomplishments, our knowledge, our understanding of this one topic as something that elevates me above you. And therefore, we start to treat people differently. We start to maybe even just assume that I don't know that I probably want to hang out with that group of people because they're probably too different and we wouldn't get along. I'm just going to distance myself because I'm assuming a lot from a distance. We've talked about all these things through different aspects of this study. Today I just want to kind of point out a couple of little key things that I think are important for us to wrestle with when we talk about humility. One of which is this idea that sometimes we think because of our position in relationship with Christ, we have been elevated to a status where now we are sons and daughters, we are heirs. Because we have made a decision to follow, we see clearly. I once was blind, but now I see, right? We sing songs like that, and we think because we now have a glimpse of what it means to follow we have somehow moved above other people who haven't chosen to follow that we now have some sort of position and authority to tell other people how to live in fact that's kind of a big part of the controversy that's revolving in our world right now we as Christians should be expecting everybody else to be governed and to live by our moral authority kind of one of the big questions that's playing out in our country right now. Should Christianity be a driving force behind politics and how the world works? Because people are saying, no, we know the right way and this is the right way and therefore that's how you should live whether you've accepted this as truth or not. There's a story in Matthew chapter 20 that I know we've actually already talked about over the course of core 52. I believe it was when we discussed kingdom. I looked back to try to figure out where it was. I couldn't find it and I gave up. So, Uh, I know it was during one of our passages we talked about this and studied it, so we're not going to go into great depth, but I want to read this story and remind us of a few simple truths that are existing here. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Remember, we talked about this. Taking this cup is kind of a representation of suffering. Are you going to walk through crucifixion and the beating and all the things that I'm going to walk through for your sake? Are you able to drink of this cup? They said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers because they got there before them. Why are you trying to sneak in position ahead of us? Like, they're not mad that these guys don't understand humility. They're mad they didn't get there first. Let's clarify that. But Jesus called them to him, all of them, and said, You know that the rules of the Gentiles lord it over them, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. There are people who want to elevate themselves in a kingdom and rule and lord over other people. They want to tell other people how they should live, what they should do. They want to take their position of authority and lord it over others. You are thinking of a kingdom where we're going to reign and set rules and set up in this established kind of system. You think I'm going to take David's throne, but you haven't understood what my role as a Messiah is. You haven't understood what my kingdom actually is. You haven't grasped what it is I'm trying to accomplish here. We've discussed that, right? Which is why I think it was the week of kingdom. If you want to go back and look, you can check that chapter out. You know that the rulers and the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you see Jesus comes into the picture and humbly teaches people and as he's humbly teaching people you notice what he actually did sometimes we want to take truth and by truth I mean we like to twist scripture out of context so hard and declare that it's truth and expect everybody else to live by said truth without actually paying attention to what Jesus did He yelled at religious leaders who were trying to push and put heavy burdens on everybody else to follow the law to the T without grace or compassion, without understanding the heart of who God is. And he humbly knelt to women caught in adultery who had clearly broken the laws and says, where are the men who were condemning you? They've left because they're not perfect either? Then neither can I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He's touching lepers who were considered unclean by society, people who weren't supposed to come in contact with others. He engages with this woman in a crowd who's been bleeding and suffering from this bleeding for 11 years, considered pure, impure by the culture and standards of the law and the Torah. She reaches out and touches him, which means her impurity would have spread to him and he would have to go through all this process to become ritually pure and clean again so that he could even go into the temple and do these things. And yet he turns to her and makes sure he makes eye contact with her and knows who she is and says, your faith has made you well. He doesn't scold her or condemn her for breaking the rules. He helps her understand that her faith, her need to be near him, is to be rewarded, to be praised, to be lifted up and recognized. If we see what Jesus did, Jesus didn't come and start beating people over the head with a stick saying, no, you better step in line with my law. He said to the people who were trying to enforce the law, you're trying to lord this over other people so that you can be the ones in charge. You can be the ones steering. You can be the ones telling everybody exactly what to do, and that's not the heart of what your God is trying to accomplish. Yes, he wants people to follow his instruction and his law because he knows it is what is best for their lives, for the lives of community and healthy community, for this kingdom that he is trying to establish. That is not about earthly kingdoms and rulers and laws and all of this stuff but for how we interact and engage with each other in relationship and love and he comes in and reaches down and lifts up those who are hurting and struggling and broken and in need not condemning them from afar when we talk about humility we are to be people who serve strip off the nature of what we think elevates us or makes us special and realize That the things that we have accepted, the things we have decided to follow, don't elevate us from someone, above someone else. They now require us to serve someone else. It doesn't lift us above someone. It gives us the perspective to see that we were broken and in need of a Savior and that he humbly came to us and served us and loved us. And that if we want the rest of the world to realize how good our savior is, that we should emulate what he does, become like him because we have loved him and spent time with him and become like him. And now we are starting to do the things he did by taking on the very nature of a servant and loving each other and the people around us and the people in our community by engaging, not trying to rule our authority over them, not trying to rule our wisdom and position over them by entering relationship and knowing them, seeing them, recognizing their face and saying, I know you. You were just somebody in a crowd a minute ago, but I want to know who that was. I want to reach out and look eye to eye with you. Do you realize that I think in the midst of a lot of the struggles we've faced in the last couple of years, the last, I mean, really just forever, I think it's a basic human need to want to be known and to be heard. It's for people to actually hear what we're saying. I was listening to a a thing this morning or just, just this week, whenever, sometime. It was a teacher posting a story about a time that she had a student and she had been warned that this student was trouble. And sure enough, first day, this student just lays into her, cusses her out, gives her nothing but grief. Had a rough first day, but she's like, I care about him, I know that he's not mad at me, he doesn't want to say those things to me. He wants to say those things at someone I just need to care about him. And so the next day he has a meltdown and finds himself hiding under a desk. And she said that she came, or she saw him hide under the desk, upset, having a meltdown. And so she just moved across the way under another, under another desk and just sat there. And he finally peeks out and he says, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing? There's nothing, just hanging out. And he starts to talk. And they had a conversation, the next day, this kid comes back to school with a completely different mindset. He goes, you're the first adult that's ever like talked to me and listened to me. And actually wanted to know what I had to say. Like, do you realize that in the midst of all of our hurt and struggle, what we really deeply want is somebody who would just take the time to stop doing all of their busy stuff and just hear us, to know us, and that's what our savior says. I'm going to step down out of heaven so that I can know you. To know what it's like to be you. To know what it means to walk in your shoes and experience the things you experience. Not to condemn you as the enemy from afar, even though Romans tells us, while we were still, sinners, while we were still enemies with God, while we were still at a distance relationally from God, he says, I forgive you, I died for you, I will do everything in my power to restore this relationship. He's not going to condemn us from afar. He's going to step into our shoes and try to hear and understand and see what it's like to be us by humbling himself, being still, serving. We talk about the simple things of what it means to be humble practically in our world is not to lord over our knowledge, our perspective, our understanding over other people who just don't see yet. It is to humbly serve them so that they can see how much they are valued and how much someone cares and how much someone is willing to offer of themselves for their well-being and for their betterment. Can you imagine? You you probably know what it feels like. You've had people stop and serve you before. You've had friends who stopped and listened to you when you were hurting. You've had friends who took time out of their busy schedule and life to slow down and be with you when you're struggling, hopefully. If you haven't, know that we're here. Or I'm here, I can't speak for everybody else. I'm here and I'm more than happy to be there if you need me to be there. We understand that like part of it is we are so busy we can't offer ourselves up from our schedule and we humbly would say we're not that big of a deal but our schedule, ah, this is a big deal and it would impact me and other people greatly if I didn't do it and therefore I don't know if I can lay it down and sacrifice it for Whatever. I don't know if I can work time for this into my life and my schedule. I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone. We're going to keep this real surface level in this conversation because I don't want to get stuck here all day talking through deep stuff. So let's just keep this kind of jovial and on the surface. If this gets too heavy, I'll get uncomfortable and won't know what to say or what to do. I won't know how to help them. I won't know what to say. And that's part of the problem to begin with is we're always trying to say something and help. And sometimes we are just being counterproductive because we're not actually hearing what's hurting someone. We're just trying to provide a solution and a way to fix it so that we can get the heck out of this conversation. Does that make sense? Have we experienced that? Have we felt that? Have we been around that? Humility says, I care about you. I am humbling myself to value you not seeing myself as more important not seeing my schedule my time my thoughts as more important but seeing you as someone i value and care about because my savior values you and cares about you and i value and care about what he cares about because i am spending time humbled in his presence growing and learning what it means to follow him and to serve him and through that relationship he's helping me become like him so that i can behave and function and do the things he does and that's why i want to do that i'm motivated out of a desire to be like him and to care about the things he cares about i want to be humble not so that i can check something off and gain something for myself i did my good deed this week I humbled myself and served somebody else. Aren't you proud of me? I went on a mission trip. See all the Instagram posts? See, I did it. I think we're still, again, missing the point, right? To humbly serve is not about the recognition we get. It's not about the boasting we get to do. It's not about saying, look, I did this, I did that. It's about serving quietly and humbly out of a sense of love for the people that are sometimes hard for us to love. I was, list, I was reading a book this week and the author's talking about, uh, a couple authors, a couple writers and thoughts being shared in this book and talking about the idea of real character change doesn't just come from trying to push our willpower through, like trying to try super hard and just willfully making ourselves behave. But that real character change comes from a loving relationship based in attachment and connection. That as we build and strengthen a relationship with God, our Father, that is attached, that is connected, that it shares joy in the, in, in the presence of our Father, that that is the thing that kind of hardwires deeper in our brain and our system. We start thinking about and dwelling on and focusing on things that He cares about. It kind of changes our thought patterns and the way we see the world. It's not just about trying to fix the outcome. It's about trying to reprogram the system internally. And it's the same with other people he says how do you build attachment relationships attachment relationships and and love and connection with people that we consider our enemy how do we start to see other people and value other people that the world tells us we're supposed to hate the world tells us we're supposed to be on the other side of the fence from the world tells us they're the ones causing all the problems if they would just stop promoting that we'd all be better off how am i supposed to build an attachment relationship with that individual that causes deep, meaningful character change within me, that allows me to be like my Savior who loves, who says, love your enemy. He wasn't just saying that in the Sermon on the Mount as like, this is, should be your, your desire, your best effort should be this. No, he says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those you don't like. Care for the people who seem different than you. How did Jesus do it? Jesus went to dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes, and everybody was yelling at him saying, you're not supposed to hang out with them. They're unclean, they're dirty, they're awful. He says, uh, I don't think you understand how this works. You're not supposed to touch him. Do you know he's a leper? Do you know they're unclean? Do you know, th- do you know this? Do you know this? I used to love it. I had work with students, and they'd be like, I don't know that you want that kid coming to youth group, Nick. Do you know what they do at school? Sounds like they're the ones I want here. No offense to you all, but you grew up in church, and... You act like you got it all together, and sometimes, you know, you do, and sometimes, mm -hmm, you're just better at hiding it than they are, right? The reality is is that Jesus says, I want to spend time with those who are different, those who don't match up to the culture I want to care about, and therefore, I'm going to spend time serving, spend time in relationship. And if we truly want to live humbly, not just saying, yes, I'm tiny, yes, I don't know anything, yes, I don't have all the answers, we have to stop acting like in some areas we do have all the answers— We need to be okay with the idea that sometimes we could be wrong. We need to be okay with the idea that we don't have all of Scripture figured out. No matter how many years we've been in the church, there is still something new to learn here and something I have always thought was true might not be. I have to be willing to wrestle with that and it be okay. To have doubts and struggles and work through things is okay. For me to personally be humbled in my relationship with God to say, I have room to grow and I need to be in your presence to do it. And number two, to say, I know that the way I live out my humility is not just by saying, well, I don't want a big deal made over the money I gave or I don't want a big deal made over the stuff I did. The humble brag, the humble, quiet nature of like, I just don't want people to know is only part of it. The other side of it is stepping in and serving, taking action and being there, taking action, not just to do something in somebody's yard and saying, that's it, But doing the harder thing of stopping and listening. Not talking, not providing an answer, not interrupting with your little quip. It'd be interesting for us this week to go back over the course of our week and think about the conversations we have and try to figure out how much of that conversation did I spend time talking and how much of that conversation did I spend time listening. When I encounter people this week, how much was I focused on my needs and what I needed to get done and how much was I focused on their needs and where they were at and what was going on in their world and what they needed in that moment? Was I living humbly and serving, pouring out of myself? Listen real quick. We're going to read this as a kind of a wrap-up here. I want to read the entire context of Philippians chapter 2 and what it says here, okay? What Paul is sharing. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We talked about unity last week, right? If you want to make my joy complete, Paul says, as a leader, as what I'm sending you out to do, if you want to do all these things that we're talking about, participating in the Spirit, having affection and sympathy, caring for the things that we value, being of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Take on the very nature of a servant. Don't consider others better than yourself. Be humble. Not so that everybody will recognize you are humble and say, good job, you're such a humble person. But so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue confess. Because they wouldn't see you in the midst of your humility and service and sacrifice, but they would know that you are who you are because you are being made into the image and likeness of your Lord and Savior Jesus and it is his name that is elevated. Truth will be declared through the way we live. He says they will know you are my disciples, that you follow my teaching, that you follow in my way by the way that you love one another. Not by the way you yell at everybody else and lord over them and tell them how to live and what to do and how to step in line so they can be right and follow in the right way so they don't get sent straight to hell. The declaration of I'm right and you're wrong is not the method Jesus taught. Not to lord it over others, but to humbly serve and to care for others more deeply than to care for yourself. Bow your heads with me. There's a few practical steps, like I said, I think it would be really beneficial this week to just take some mindful moments Especially when you're going to be in a conversation with somebody. If you're going out to lunch, you're spending time with a neighbor, you find yourself out on the lawn and somebody's walking by. What does this individual that God has put in front of me really need today? How can I listen? Is there someone in my schedule that I've been thinking about, but I've just been too busy to call or to check in on or look after? And I feel like they've probably been going through some stuff and hurting, but I just haven't taken the time to actually reach out and see how they're doing. I know they've gone through a lot this year. Maybe I should just call them and say, hey, what are some practical little steps you can take this week to allow yourself to walk in his way and in his teaching? But the other side of that too is finding ways and moments to make sure we are humbling ourselves before the Lord, humbling ourselves in his presence so that his heart and his love for others can become something that wears off on us so that we can become like him. To do that, we have to humble ourselves and spend time in his presence. And so right now in this moment, I encourage you to do this. Just humble yourself before him in a moment of silence and just prayer. And say, Father, what are my biggest areas of weakness in terms of my humility? Where do I give myself credit for being humble? Where I really should be working on something over here. Father, reveal to me where there's room to grow. encourage you as well to take just a moment and simply pray this God do I trust you and you in your presence and your spirit enough to wrestle through doubts to wrestle through ways that I've always thought this is the right way and I may be wrong ways that I still have room to grow do I trust you in those spaces and those times Do I trust you enough to give you space to actually work on my heart and humble me and help me to grow? And hopefully, it is our prayer that we desire to do that. Just take a moment to surrender those thoughts and kind of that space to Him. Father, I see pictures of this vast universe that you made, and I am humbled at the workmanship of your hand. And the fact that your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That the God who would create such a vast universe with beauty and so much beyond it that we don't even begin to understand or grasp would form me in his image and likeness and call me to be his son. Call me to follow, to serve, and to be like him and offer me a space and opportunity through His Son, and through the Spirit to grow in relationship. And Father, I pray that You would forgive me for those moments where I don't even humble my time and schedule enough to offer myself back over to You. Father, I know there are moments where I don't humble myself to give room for Your Spirit to work in my heart and my life. I know there's moments where I don't humble myself enough to slow down and give You space to work. So Father, I pray that You would... Help each and every one of us to make sure we are humbling ourselves before you. Father, your word speaks so much on this idea of humility. You give us so many examples of people humbling themselves so there's no room for us to boast, but we could only boast in you. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize how important of a concept this is to you. You wouldn't let us to be people who are proud or people who try to rule over our position over other people, but, Father, that we would humble ourselves before you and each other this week, learning how to serve you and to offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Let that be our spiritual act of worship this week. We love you, we trust you, and I just pray you continue to speak into our hearts over the course of these next moments. We love you, we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray.